The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through to 13. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, <coughs> excuse me, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you think I wasn't coming back? I did wonder. Oh, I carried that really awkwardly. Oh. Hang on, I'm still not ready, hang on. How is everybody? Feeling energetic, ready to listen? I'm not very good at listening, so I do feel for you guys. That's why I'm up here, <laughs> so I can talk. We are uh, currently in our Blueprint series. How many of you knew that? Okay, it's pretty good. Uh, it's a series on who we're called to be, both as individuals and as a church. Uh, and next week, Tim is going to speak on thinking, uh, but because I'm perhaps not the strongest at thinking, I'm going to speak on our heart and what it means to have a changed heart, to be united, to be transformed in how we love one another so that we can live uh, in unity. Um, earlier I said to the first service that um, this morning, I have a toddler, Lydia is now two and a bit, and she chose Weetabix for breakfast, and then we gave her Weetabix, and then Lydia didn't want Weetabix. And so we had a disagreement, and I thought, ah, thank you God, <laughs> 
for the humbling way in which you teach us. I, I hope that when you go through little moments like that in your life, you hear God's voice. You ask God, okay, what can I learn from that small situation? I'm sure you're aware that the church is not unfamiliar with disunity and division. Take a brief look at church history and you will see the pattern is strong. And it's not new, therefore, in our time. It's not new that perhaps we might struggle with that. But in our society today, I believe that the church being unified, being united, living in unity is the answer to so much of what is going on in the world. Because if we can be distinct from the world in how we love one another in spite of our disagreements, in spite of the things that we do, say, believe that may be different, recognizing that love is greater than all those things, then I think the world will listen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that We're here in your presence together, that we are gathered together, and that we gather around you, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray that what we learn today will be lived out in our lives, that it won't just be words spoken, ticking a box, but that your Holy Spirit will transform our lives. And bring about change in our world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, when I was preparing, which wasn't for very long because I'm actually replacing Liz, who has COVID, so I um, wonder what's going to happen. I don't know. Um, no, I do. I've prepared. But when I was preparing, I felt God remind me of this story that happened to me and Matt. Uh, we, I don't think we'd been married very long, and we had some really good friends coming over for dinner. And just about 20 minutes, I, this probably hasn't happened to anybody here, but just 20 minutes before they arrived, we had an argument. And it was one of those arguments that now, I couldn't even tell you what we argued about. It was that insignificant. It was probably the way that one of us had laid the table. Well, we're not that pedantic, but something like that, probably. Uh, and anyway, we, there was a lot of high emotion in the house, and I thought... Oh no, they're going to walk in and they're going to know <laughs> that we've had an argument. I, I don't know if you've ever walked into somebody else's house when they've had an argument, but you really know, don't you? Um, and so they walked in and they're good friends, so this helped. And I just turned to them and I said, we've just had an argument. <laughs> and Matt was like, oh, what have you done? Why have you told them? And I, and I really felt like if I didn't tell them, We're just living this weird kind of dinner party that would have felt awkward and inauthentic. And sometimes I feel like that's what we do at church. And people come into church and we're like, we're great here, everything's great, peachy perfect, don't worry about it. When actually we've got disagreement with one another or there's something we're not happy with. And I'm telling you, if you can walk into somebody's house and know that there's arguments going on, you can walk into a church. And you can know that that's happening. You can know when everybody isn't living in unity so, so quickly. We feel it, don't we? Because we are called and we are made to live in unity. We actually ended up having such powerful conversations with our friends. They were profound, they were deep, and they were life-changing in many ways because we were so open and able to share. And that's 
what church should be. It should be a place where people feel comfortable to come as they are, to meet with Jesus and to be loved and held in such a safe way that they can pour out their hearts. I wonder if you have ever disagreed with someone you love. Maybe a minor one, like the Weetabix, perhaps something a little bit stronger than that. Just have a quick chat to the person next to you if you feel like you can. If not, just, you know, think it in your own mind um, about a disagreement you may have had with someone that you love, but it didn't stop you loving that person. Go. It's a tough one. I'm sorry. I assume you're all talking about the fact you've got nothing to talk about. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) We all know what it feels like, don't we? Now, just a little bit of input as we start reading and working through this little part of um, the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, The first few chapters that we read... Uh, that precede this, are Paul writing very much about the belief system, the way in which people believe who God is, the way in which we believe who God is, the theology uh, that we live by. And he speaks about the incredible, immeasurable goodness and riches of a life lived with God. One of those riches is unity, brought about by the work of Jesus Christ on earth and the Holy Spirit. But then Paul makes this shift, and that's where we land today. And it's almost like a little hinge in his teaching. If the first three chapters are about the theology, what we believe about who God is, then the next few books, uh, sorry, next three chapters are about how we live, how we act on that truth, how we live out that truth and those, uh, live within those, that goodness and those riches. And we heard a couple of weeks ago, I think it was our all-age service, the wonderful, incredible prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's the place from which Paul then shares about unity Do you know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God? Because that is the place from which you will understand what it means to live in unity. And so Paul speaks about Christian unity, which is to be distinct from the world. It's not the same as unity in the world because we have Christ around uh, around who we gather. A unity that's not based on what we do, but it's based on who we are in Christ. It's a unity based on gathering around Jesus. Jesus who was sent by God. A God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us and to rise again. 
to conquer death and sin. Christian unity is centered on the journey from death to life. And so it occurs when we gather around Jesus and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But if we want to understand what unity is, we do need to understand what division is. We need to understand what disunity is. And so there were three major divisions happening at the time, I think, when this letter was written to the Ephesian church. There would have been a division between the church and the pagan world. Those who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ were finding that the world, the pagan world, was just so hostile towards them and getting more and more hostile. They were trying to live distinctively, but they came up against this hostile environment and it was really difficult. And secondly, there is the division between Jew and Gentile. The Christian faith, the way of Jesus, came from Jewish roots. And it had a Jewish identity. And they were still living within that story, except there was one major difference that they were struggling with. That everybody was now welcome. That everyone, Jew and Gentile, were both welcome Those that were seen as far off were now equally gifted by God in all his goodness and all his riches. And both Jew and Gentile struggled to reconcile that point. And finally, and I think what we will understand here as a church, more than those other two perhaps, is that there were household divisions. A church was made up of smaller households, much like we are today in many ways. And when Paul speaks about the oneness of the body of Christ. He's saying all the people, all the households that make up the church need, need to be united under one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. It's the oneness of everybody gathered together around one thing, Jesus Christ. And it was likely because those households that were joining together to worship were from different socioeconomic backgrounds, they held different views, they had slightly different practices from one another, they perhaps had slightly different theology, and they were learning what that meant to live out. I don't know if that sounds familiar. And it can be easy for divisions to erupt in that kind of space, where everybody brings their own stuff, and we all do. It's not that different, I think, to how we are as a worldwide church, but definitely how we are as a national church, capital C, or under Christ. We live in a divisive time. In so many arenas in our life that we will bring that understanding of to our time gathered together, there is division, there is dualistic thinking, there is no space for nuance or deep relationship. We love to identify ourselves along our tribes and, uh, with our tribes and our groups. Um, when I was thinking of that, I was thinking my, my sister from New Zealand came over, as I think I've mentioned, and um, on her last evening, we did what we love to do. I have three sisters, there's four of us, so it is a you know, tribe. Um, and we, we did what we really love to do. Like, what do you want to do on your last night, Lizzie? And she's like, go to 24-hour M&S. Cool. <laughs> need to buy my underwear. <laughs> and so we went, and as we walked across the car park at dusk, 
There's no one else really there because who goes <laughs> really that late except for us. We walked in a line and I, and I was like, oh, I'm in a gang. <laughs> I just really felt that sense of belonging and it's such an odd moment, but actually so important. But that's what we do. We identify ourselves with those that we know are like us, that we know sound like us, that we know think a little bit like us. What football team you support, what you do for a living, where you were born, what theology you hold, and we surround ourselves with those people. Because it's a bit easier, isn't it? Because disagreement is a challenge. The problem is that if we only seek those who sound or look like us or think like us, our circle of understanding gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And our relationships get shallower and shallower and shallower. Because they're never challenged. And the shallower our relationships get, the louder our echo chamber gets. And the further we move from that picture of unity that Paul paints for us in Ephesians. How we are united is so important. Paul writes in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility in the Greco-Roman world, much like many spaces in our society today, was kind of scoffed at. They thought it was a useless concept and a useless way to live because it was cultural to push yourself forward, to succeed yourself, to make sure that you were finishing ahead of everyone else. A great breeding ground if you're competitive to live without humility. But the root of the word that Paul uses essentially means to physically push someone else ahead of you. To enable them to succeed in your place. To prefer the other. So when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, they know starkly that this call is not one of the world. Be gentle. We learned recently at a vicar's study day, maybe I should have known this before, I don't know. Um, but that gentleness, the gentleness that Christ lives and is, talks about and the way that we describe Christ is power under control. Like a boat being thrown about by the wind until you, I don't even know what you say, how you say this, but until the sail goes up. <laughs> Sorry if you are a sailor. Um, <laughs> until the sail goes up and it harnesses the wind and you can move forward. That's the kind of gentleness we're to have with one another. Be patient. This is one I'm learning a lot about with a toddler. The moment you feel your patience is waning is the moment you call on God to gift you with an abundance, an oversupply of patience. Bearing with one another in love. The context of this would have been in a scenario when someone in a conversation perhaps is annoying you so much. <laughs> You've probably never felt that either. <laughs> if someone is annoying you so much that you just want to give up on the conversation and walk away. Just, that's enough. And that is the moment you choose to bear with them in love. Bear with one another in love. It's the gritty determination to see someone the way God sees them and hold that space of difference in order that God's love can move. As a church, we need to be a people of peace. Paul writes in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
now more than ever before, we need to be a people and a place of peace, a people of unity. True peace is unity in the midst of that disagreement, of that division. It's seeing ourselves beyond those groups that we so easily fall into. And we can only find true peace when we understand that we are made in Christ. We are made new in Christ. We are a new creation. Our identity, when it is set in Christ Jesus, when it is set in Christ Jesus, is where we find our peace. And so perhaps then we can only really know the true unity of living in Christ if we also take a look, a long hard look at ourselves and where our identity is set. Is it in God? Or is it in other things? And when we have a sense, a deep sense of self rooted in God, as Paul prays for the Ephesians, that you would be rooted and established in love. It's that kind of peace that binds us together when we seek to know our true selves before all the stuff we've accumulated or succeeded at or failed at. It's our deepest identity in God, where there is always an abundance of grace to know more because we find ourselves in a God who is immeasurable, uncontainable, And so we can continue to place our identity in him. Continue to search out our identity in him. You see, unity is not a space in which we all just think, act and understand the same way. It is not uniformity. That is not what we are called to. And we have a limited understanding of who God is if that's how we live. Because as I said, God is immeasurable, uncontainable. Each one of you is a reflection of God. Think about that for a second. Every person you meet, whether they know God or not, is made in the image of God. And so the vastness of who God is can only be understood within diversity. It is essential to our understanding how we unify, how we are united how we can live in unity. It's the decision to exist within disagreement together, gathered around the love of God. It's living out the truth that love can exist regardless of our disagreements because love is greater. I remember when I got married, my dad said this to me and I didn't fully get it at the time. He said, your love is greater than your relationship. And I was like, I thought, That was why we had a relationship, but okay. You know, when your dad's trying to be sort of wise in a moment where you're thinking, oh, I'm just about to get married. Please don't tell me deep, profound things I can't process. Um, But he's right. And the reason for that is because God's love encaptures all things. My relationship with Matt is not greater than my relationship with God. My relationship with, one, with each of you here is not greater than my relationship with God because God's love is above all things. And so we live with our disagreements within the love of God and therefore within our love for one another. Our experience of God's grace is so closely knitted together to the oneness of the body of Christ. In other words, we can only understand God's grace in all its fullness if we understand who we are made to be in him, who we are called to be in him, and even more so who the person sitting next to you is called to be 
in God. Our very understanding of God's grace can only be grasped when we see the beauty of the diversity of those who gather around him. And there is an abundance of space in God's love and grace for disagreement, but there is no place for disunity. And they are two very different things. If we are to look different to the world, if we're to be a church where when people walk in, we can say, yeah, we don't necessarily all agree on the same things, but we really love each other. And this is what love looks like. Because love points to God. And we want to push people. We want to humble ourselves so much that we push people closer and closer to God. We let them get closer to God. We say, look, here he is. Look how great his love is. What we as a church are unified around is practicing the way of Jesus. It's following Jesus. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. And we get there by knowing who we are in God. Our unity is not based in our political systems or or opinions grafted in our conscience, but on something far greater, the goodness and the riches of life with Jesus, of a life from death, where we live in the hope of the resurrection. Surely we can all agree on that. Let's pray. Father, we want to be united in you. We want to unify around your goodness and your riches and who you are. Not around who we are. Because we know what that brings. Lord, help us here at St. Paul's and in our own lives to be a unified church. Where we move together for the coming of your kingdom in this place, in Camberley. We hold each other in the love that you show us, that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Sophie. We're going to continue to express our unity now in a song all about Jesus, as Sophie urged us to do. Let's unite around him, Jesus, the hope for the world. Let's sing. Jesus, hope of the nations. Jesus, comfort for all who
Thank you guys. Well, the children, the rest of the children are just making their way in now.